with, with theology. Starts saying getting, we need to get our minds right. We need to believe right. We need to look at what is true so that we are, we're thinking rightly. And then he always moves into action. Based on what we believe, how do we live that out? How does the truth that we believe in our hearts make it to our mouths, make it to our feet, make it to our hands? What do we do with that? As we finish up chapter 4 today, we're, we're just kind of hitting the, the end of that bridge as Paul is making that leap then next week into uh, how do we live this out? And we're going to be looking at that a lot. As you remember, Paul has been, has been walking through this. It, greeting the Corinthians, thanking God for what he's doing in their church, and, and then also pointing out that, that they do have these, these division lines, these battle lines that they've created as, as they're, they're setting up one leader over against another, and, and who's best. And Paul says that that whole idea misses the point. If, if we're rallying behind a certain leader and saying this is the one, we're missing the one who truly leads the church. And so Paul has spent a great deal of time looking at, at the way the world puts forward that we get ahead, the way the world puts forward that we grab power, that we grab status, that we, we say the right things and do the right things and look the right way. And he says there's the, world, the world's way of doing things. And then there's God's. And God's ways look like foolishness to the world. But the world's ways, in all of, in all of the flashiness and all of the promises that it, it offers, from God's perspective, we see that all those are empty and that that is truly foolishness. And so Paul is, is continuing to walk this way with his, with his church. If you remember last week, he's, he's kind of ramping up here, here at the end. He's, he's been pointing out scripture that, that shows the way that we're, we're not to boast in men, that we are to, to look at, at God's wisdom and how it, it goes beyond everything that, that we could understand. And, and he did that pointing to scripture. He did that working through the logical argument. And then he even, he even starts just digging in with some irony and sarcasm as he says, you know, already you have all you want. Already you're, you're kings, you're rich, you, you've got everything. You're wise and we're fools. You, you've got it all and we have nothing. You're honored and, and we're dishonored. And Paul just continues driving that wedge between the way the world says we do things and the way God says we do things. As we come now to the end, we'll pick it up in verse 14. And we're seeing that, that Paul, now having just driven in with some of that sarcasm, is going to take a step back and say, all right, we're still family. Let's walk through this. So as we do that, let's open with prayer. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth. I thank you, Lord, that you call us to yourself, that while we were yet sinners, while we stood as enemies against you, you sent your son to die for us. I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness that goes beyond anything that we could muster up on our own. I thank you for your faithfulness that goes beyond our failings. God, as we look into your word today, I pray that you will use it. 
Holy Spirit, will you take this word and plant it deep within us? God, I pray that these would not be my words today, but they would be yours. Lord, any error I speak, cause it to be forgotten. May your truth remain. Lord, guide us where you would lead. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll look here at the closing of, of Paul's argument, the first half, the first section of, of this letter. As Paul is, is just really kind of summing up what we see here, starting in verse 14. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach him everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming back to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Here Paul puts that, that close on, on this argument that he's been setting up of the world's wisdom versus God's wisdom. And we've seen him use many, many tactics as, as he is delivering this message, as he's calling them to, to just think logically about where their, uh, their worldly wisdom is leading. To look at Scripture as testimony to, to what is true, as he, as he even uses that sarcasm and irony to just really drive it in. And as he's doing that, he, he understands that, that that's the type of thing that can either make people just get really defensive and just shut off from what he's doing. Or they can just heap them up and make them feel a lot of shame for where they are. And, and, and that shame can lead to just, just a whirlpool of despair. And so even as, as he's delivering that, that argument, Paul then takes a step back and, and takes a little bit gentler tone where he says, I don't write these things to make you ashamed. Shame has, has its way of doing that, right? That, that we react in those, in those predictable ways. We feel like we're being attacked and we just want to attack back. We want to jump back in and get defensive. And Paul says that wasn't the point here. It wasn't to get defensive. It's to move ahead. Or shame can, can just heap on us and just weigh down so heavy that we don't feel like we can do anything. And, and we just, we just want to curl up in a fetal position in the corner somewhere and just give up and just wait for it all to be over. And Paul says that's not the point either. Paul's looking at this and saying that there, there are things that you're believing and as we look at the next chapters, there are things that you're doing that are things that are worth being ashamed of. 
but there's a difference between feeling the remorse, feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit on these things, and just, just feeling the shame that just hides away. If this is just shame that causes you to hide, this isn't going to be productive. And so Paul says, I'm, I'm not writing these things to make you ashamed. But why is he writing? He says, to admonish you as my beloved children. To urge you on, to, to press you on to something better. That, that Paul is coming and he's pointing these things out and he's, he's touching on things that hurt. Things that drive deep to where they, they are believing in their heart of hearts. And saying that those things are not right and they're leading you in the wrong way. Paul says, I, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm not pressing on those things that hurt just to make you hurt. I'm pressing on those things so that you can move, so you can grow, so that there can be more. To admonish you, he says, as my beloved children. When we're in those situations, right? When, when we're feeling that, that kind of shame that creeps in, isn't it good to hear that term, beloved children? That even in the midst of all that, even in, in the midst of Paul saying, you, you're completely out of line in the way you're thinking about this, he still pulls him close as his beloved children. You are loved. You are loved beyond anything that you can even imagine. We, we pull our kids close to us. There, there's, this, there's this remarkable thing that happens in the moment that your child is born, right? Where, where you have never actually physically laid eyes on this person before. And yet in that moment, you love them so much that, that right then and there you would die for that little boy, for that little girl. You are loved. And that's what Paul wants the Corinthians to remember too, is even though he's coming and, and he's having to say some hard things, he wants them to know too that I'm saying these things not because I want to condemn you. I'm saying these things not because I'm coming as the judge, as the one who's going to just come and, and tell you all the bad things you're doing. He says, I'm saying these things because I love you. I want better for you. Paul comes with this because he cares. And that's the first thing we've got to remember is, as, as we're doing. As, if we find ourselves in the position that, that we are ones who have to point that out in somebody else's life. That it comes from a place of love. We, we need to really evaluate our, our own hearts on that. Are, are we saying these things because we just really think that person messed up and we want them to know it and we saw it? Or are we saying it because we love them and we want better for them. And it's good for us on the flip side when, when we're receiving that kind of thing. To receive that as, as from those who love us. Paul looks at this. He, he looks at the Corinthians. He looks at, at the, 
what they're believing that, that is incorrect and the way that it is leading them to do all kinds of things that, that are completely messed up. And he says, I love you, and that's why I have to say these things to you. Paul points out that though they may have many, many different teachers, many people that will come and teach them things and try and build them up. And, and as he's even talked, he's laid the foundation of Jesus Christ and others are building on it. He's like, there, there are many. But he says, I am your father in Christ. You don't have many fathers. Now, this, this seems odd, isn't it? I mean, this is one of the things we have to think about and reconcile because Paul has spent so much time saying, you're, you're getting it all wrong when, when you're dividing up over leaders. And some say, I follow Apollos, and I follow Paul, and I follow Peter, and, and we're getting all that. And then here's Paul saying, but remember that I am your father in Christ. It's almost like he's saying, don't follow all the other leaders. And then he pops up with this, but follow me because I'm the real leader. And we go, wait a minute. He spent a lot of time saying that that's not how we do it. How do we reconcile that? Paul calls himself their father in the gospel. Their father in Christ Jesus. The one, the one who led them to, to understand the truth of Jesus Christ. The, the one that the Holy Spirit used so that they could be saved. But he's also their father, he says, through the gospel. gospel is that truth that 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 incredible leveler of all things the the thing that that we look to and say wow i am no better than anybody else we are all sinners we are all broken we are all messed up and trying to do our own thing and jesus loved us anyway and gave himself for us anyway paul isn't trying here to raise himself up as the grand leader But I think he is noting that that any time he says, you know, it's a very small thing for me to be judged by you or by any human court. I don't even judge myself. That some might take that, some might take that and twist it to say, well, nobody can judge me either. I'm just going to go do my own thing. And Paul knows the wickedness in our hearts. And so he's, again, focusing that back to Jesus, back to the gospel. And then Paul says something that, that is a bold statement. A statement that I don't know if any of us here would be willing to make. As he tells the church in Corinth in verse 16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Later on in, the, in this in this letter, Paul's going to be even more specific as he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. As he says, you, you want to you know what it is to be like Christ, to live like Christ, to follow Christ with your whole heart? Follow me, do what I'm doing. That's a bold statement, is it not? We know that as we look to our own children, there are, there are things that we say, I want you to imitate me in this. I want you to learn from me in this. I want you to do like I do in this. And if there are any parents out there that are like me, there are also many of those things that you say, but I don't want you to imitate me in this. I'm getting this wrong. I'm messed up with this, and, and, and I want you to do better than I do in this. And here Paul is saying, be imitators of me. Walk 
in the way I walk, do the things I do. How far do we think that imitation goes? I mean, surely Paul doesn't expect everybody to change their names to Paul, right? And to to start making tents and, and do the things that he does there. Paul isn't saying all you butchers need to leave your, your, your butcher shops, you, you bread bakers, leave those and, and make tents, and we're going to have everybody make tents. Of course not. He's even going to look later as he's talking about the body. And there are different parts. But we can get down to the fundamentals. Where Paul says, you see, you see the way I work at making tents? You, you see what I put into it and the care that I put into that? In your butcher shop, in your bakery, in your farm, you put that same care into it. You put that same care into it, not because you're doing great things, but because you are working for Christ. We look at what Paul has already said about the apostles, right? When, when he finished up the last portion, back in verse 12, when reviled When people speak ill of us, when they speak against us, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat, we urge, we still point people back to Jesus. These are the things that I think we see for Paul when he's saying, be an imitator of me. He's saying, when people attack you, you love them. When the hard time comes, you are faithful. Paul is calling them to see what he does and to do the same. To to show what the Christian life is like and not just tell about it. The old saying is an old saying for a reason, that actions speak louder than words, right? Right? And that's what Paul is saying, that that we show, and he even says in the next verse, that that's the very reason he's sending Timothy to them. He's sending Timothy, his beloved and faithful child. And if if the people in Corinth are already kind of setting themselves up and saying, you know what, Paul's not all that. We're going to go after Apollos. We're doing this. And they're already kind of rejecting him. They might reject Timothy too. And so I think that might be part of the reason that he reminds them that Timothy is also his beloved That Timothy is faithful and that Timothy is on his way for the purpose of reminding them of Paul's ways in Christ. So that Timothy, by his life, is showing what he's learned from Paul. And Paul, in his life, is showing what he has learned following Jesus. And we have this continual showing more than telling. Because that speaks. You know, even as, as that group of young men and I are, are starting to, to study First Timothy on Tuesday mornings, Paul puts a, a challenge in there, a, an, an exhortation, if you will, where he tells Timothy to watch your life and your teaching. Pay close attention to, to what you're saying, to the way you're teaching the, the doctrine, what is true about God, and pay attention to your life, the way you're walking, the way you're moving. He writes it in that book. I'm sure that's something that he probably told Timothy again and again. As Timothy is now going to Corinth, I'm sure that's in his mind. 
to watch your life and your teaching. See what it is and let the world see who Jesus is because of the way we live. Paul is coming with this because he cares about the church in Corinth. And, and as, he, as he sends these, these sometimes really harsh things, he's also saying, look at my life, see and do what I'm doing, and that's how we're going to know. Paul is opening himself up and making himself very vulnerable as he does that. But finally, he can do that because he is doing this not in his own strength, but in the strength of Jesus. Verse 18 looks down to this, this idea where he says, Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Paul isn't coming with his own power. He isn't coming with his own strength. He's coming in the strength of Jesus he writes in the strength of Jesus. He lives, he walks his life in the strength of Jesus. We see that word arrogant in there a couple of times. And it's the same word that back in verse 6. Where, where he talked about, about those who are, who are beginning to boast. That, that he writes so that they won't go beyond what is written. So that they might not become puffed up, it says there. Puffed up in favor of one against another. Those who are thinking, you know what? We can judge who's more spiritual and who's not. We're going to decide who are the good teachers and who are the bad teachers. We're going to decide that this is how. And there's that puffed up nature. That's the same word that gets used twice here when he's talking about those who are arrogant. Those who maybe, they've, they've heard Paul say once before, I'm coming to you soon. And a month has passed, and two months have passed, and a year has passed, and they're like, Paul isn't coming. Paul doesn't even care. We're going to do things our way because he, he, doesn't, he doesn't understand what's happening here. And he says, no, I am coming. And I will come soon. What a relative word that is, right? Because how many times growing up did you say, are we there yet? As you're driving in the car. And your mom and dad say, soon, we'll be there soon. That soon might be, we're two hours away, but it's a 10-hour trip, so that means that we're really, really close, but we're still two hours away. Paul says, I'm coming to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I'm going to find out about these arrogant people, not about their talk. Paul knows about their talk. He's heard about their talk. The talk is cheap. He says, I'm going to find out about their power. What is behind the talk? What are they doing with it? This becomes that test that, that Paul continues to do, right? We've seen that, that idea of talk, of speech, of word used again and again here where, where he talked about, I didn't come to you in words of eloquent wisdom. I came with a word of the cross. Saw that in Chapter 1, verse 17. We saw it again in chapter 2, verse 4. That, that there's this difference in the word that the world uses and the word that Paul uses. And he's saying the word of the cross. That's power.
finally he closes that out. So how do you want me to come? I'm coming, Paul says. What's it going to be like? Do I come with a stick? Or in love and gentleness? Do, do I come to, to discipline? Or do I come to celebrate? Because Paul's calling them to take a stand. Paul's calling them to take a look at their life and see where they are and to take a stand. I couldn't help but think as, as I was reading through that last part about those who are arrogant, those who are puffed up, those who say, Paul's not coming, so why do we even have to worry? And I couldn't help but think about Jesus leaving his disciples and saying that I will come again. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will return to bring you where I am. And then a year passes, and then 10 years pass, and then a generation passes, and he's not back yet. And then 2,000 years pass, and he's not back yet, and people say, well, it's because he's not coming. How arrogant and puffed up to believe that we can speak on behalf of Jesus. That he said he's returning. And he's given us a call. And yet we, we can stand and say, you know, I've lived my 15 years, I've lived my 21 years, I've lived my 60 years, and I haven't seen any evidence that he's coming, as, as though our 15, 21, 60, 80 years, whatever, is, is some grand scope of things. If we're talking about that 10-hour that car ride, those 80 years might just be like 10 minutes. What is that? Jesus is coming. And he's looking for those who are faithful. Those who are faithful, not, not in a way that, that we can stand over somebody and say, you're wrong in this and you're wrong in this and I am judging you in this thing, but for those who are caring for them, the ones around them. Not for ones who, who are going out and, and just just speaking, but the life doesn't match. But, but we show who he is by our lives. He's looking for those who are surrendered to him, who are doing this, not in our own strength, but in his. And so as Paul wraps up this portion of his message, he's calling the Corinthian church. I think Jesus is calling his church today to live in this way. To show and not tell. To trust in his strength, in his wisdom, and not our own. What does that look like in your life today? I don't know. I don't know in your business practices, in your relationships with, with family and friends. I don't, I don't know what that next step is. know that we need to be burdened for those around us. And I know that it's way too easy to just grow relaxed and think, yeah, he hasn't come yet. 
So maybe we've got another day. Jesus, I thank you for your surpassing faithfulness. I thank you, Lord, for your love. I thank you that for your love and your mercy that calls us, as the old song says, just as I am. That we don't get ourselves all fixed up and dressed up for you, we never could. And yet, Lord, I thank you also for your love that does not leave us in that state of just as I am, but you help us. You call us. You you push us and give us the strength and the power and the ability to grow. To grow deeper in our relationship with you, to, to grow wider as we reach out to those around us. God, you are so good. I pray that as we see those around us, God, we would see them through your eyes. Lord, give us hearts to care. Work in us your sanctifying truth that, that grows our integrity, that we can show who you are rather than just telling. And God, we thank you that it is in your power and not ours because our power is failing. But yours is forever. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Ushers, will you come forward, please, to serve communion today?